You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Our reading this evening is from Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 52. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in the great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. 
And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. God. Well, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this new year and this time together. Lord, we all will sit underneath your word tonight, myself included. Lord, I pray that you would re- reveal yourself more during this time. Uh, thank you, Lord, that your word cannot be harmed, that though the grass may wither and the flowers fade, that the word of the Lord will stand forever. Please, Holy Spirit, lead me in this time, and I pray that my words will be filled with your truth and will bring you glory in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hello, Christchurch. You guys may be seated. Uh, it is a lower elementary uh, night tonight, so all kiddos can start uh, working their way over. <laughs> well, it is great to see all of you guys tonight. Uh, ha- Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year's Day. Um, if you are new uh, or have not met you yet, my name is Rabo. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Church. And uh, I am so blessed and thankful to be here this morning to celebrate this New Year's Day with you. Uh, well, our family just got back from visiting Texas, visiting family out there for the holidays. It was a really sweet time, uh, enjoying good food, exchanging gifts, spending time with family we don't often get to see. Um, and while that time was, was great, Uh, It takes a significant amount of effort to travel. Uh, There's planning and packing, mapping, uh, actually uh, then getting there, coming home, unpacking. Um, And even this is with all the modern conveniences of traveling too, right? We have cars, we have Airbnb, we have places on the side of the road we can stop, take a break, get snacks. Um, But even with all of that, before the trip, as I was seeing what the level of effort was going to be to get there, I asked myself, is it worth it? And mom and dad who are listening on the podcast, it was. Um, but uh, but it, was, it was, even with all the logistic stuff and all the stuff that had get done for the trip, uh, I had taken my eyes off of the point of the trip, was to see family and to see the people that I love. And with that in focus, the logistics and planning don't go away, but now all of that effort has a purpose for it. Well, tonight we'll get to see two planned trips to Jerusalem and the temple and one unplanned trip in search for Jesus. Luke is finishing up the birth and childhood narrative of Jesus and before we see John preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. So we'll look at this passage tonight in two sections. First, the baby Jesus presented at the temple and the second, the boy Jesus found at the temple. And when it was time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's been 40 days since the birth of Jesus, and Mary and Joseph have made the nearly 90-mile trip back to Jerusalem from Nazareth. Uh, According to the law, if a woman gave birth to a son, she is ritually impure for seven days, and then 33 days later, after that seven days, that's the 40, um, she is then to go to the priest who will make a burnt offering and a sin offering of atonement, and she will be clean. It is also possible that Joseph had to offer sacrifices, um, as it says it came time for their purification, being that it was likely that he assisted with the birth of Jesus and probably came in contact with all of the bodily fluids that come with that process. Um, And they're also consecrating Jesus, formally dedicating Jesus for the Lord's purposes, as the Lord required for all firstborns. 
Now, as a side note, if this sounds really weird, like why are they offering sacrifices for something as common as, uh, and natural as having a baby, uh, I hear you, and we have, there's some good categories that can help us think through this law for the time and the place. Uh, last year, our church actually spent several months in the book of Leviticus, and we can point you to those sermons and other resources to kind of help explain what is going on. But for now, Luke actually is trying to tell us something about the family that Jesus is being born into. This is a couple that loves the Lord deeply and with a thankful heart is obeying the commands of God. We've already seen a glimpse of Mary's heart back in chapter one when she's saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of the servant. This, this journey has not been made begrudgingly but with, a, with joyful obedience to the Lord. In verse 41, we're told that every year the whole family would go down to the feast of the Passover as it was according to custom. Now, only men were actually required to go to the feast of the Passover, but we see that Mary and the boy Jesus and presumably any of their other children came along as well. This is a family that has worship built into the rhythms of their life. Uh, these, these are the parents and this is the family that Jesus will grow up in. We get one other glimpse into the state of the family. It says they offered a pair of turtle doves and two, or two young pigeons for sacrifices. This was a provision in the law for those who could not afford a lamb, uh, sorry, afford a lamb uh, for an offering. Jesus is not growing up in an upper-class family or even a middle-class family. Uh, he's been born into a poor family from a small backwoods town, a family that loves the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, their mind, and strength. And we're then introduced to two other people. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Uh, we don't actually know anything about Simeon other than what's been revealed in the text. He could have been uh, a priest in the temple. He also could have just been a regular guy with a regular job. But whatever he did, we are told that he is righteous and devout. And in our culture, the, the term righteous probably carries a negative holier-than-thou connotation. But that is not what's being meant here. Simeon loves the Lord. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is upon him. He's been waiting with great anticipation for the Lord's salvation. We don't know how, but in some way, the Spirit has revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And then on, on the day that Joseph and Mary come to the temple bringing Jesus, Simeon, filled with the Spirit, also is there. And he takes the baby Jesus in his arms and praises God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon praises God with overflowing thankfulness for letting him see the Lord's salvation, and now he can depart in peace. This is a big declaration, right? Now that he has seen Jesus, he, can, he said, I, I now can die. Um, uh, if you could fill in the blank to that question, I could die in peace if... Dot, dot, dot. What, what would your answer be? I know that the cares of this world, the many, things that mean, the many things that need to be done, they can often distract me from Jesus. 
Life only seems to be getting busier, uh, and, but I want to be like Simeon, uh, finding my peace in the Lord's salvation through Christ. And this is not just salvation for just Israel, right? Jesus is a light of, for revelation to the Gentiles, everyone who is not ethnically Jewish, like me and I imagine most other folks around. Um, Jesus has come to save people from every tribe and every nation. And while Mary and Joseph are marveling at this blessing, Simeon also has a word of warning that this salvation comes with a cost. Jesus has been appointed to be the rising and falling of many and will face much opposition. We will see this as we work our way through Luke, that we'll see Jesus raising up the weak, the humble, healing the sick, calling unschooled fishermen to be his disciples and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. We will also see the fall and the judgment of the proud. Jesus calling, calls out the hypocrisy and the wickedness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and much opposition to, um, from Jesus' preaching that will ultimately lead to the cross. We will see Jesus bringing the right-side-up kingdom to the upside-down world. Simon even gives a specific warning to Mary that a sword will pierce through her heart and her own soul also, that this is clearly pointing towards the, the cross and maybe even hinting towards the events that will happen in the next passage. Simeon gives us a joyful blessing of thankfulness to God for his salvation and a sober reminder that this salvation comes with a cost. In picking up on that prophetic moment, we are then introduced to the prophetess Anna. Again, all we know about Anna is what's been revealed in the text here. She's a prophetess who was a virgin until she was married, and then she was married for seven years until her husband passed away, and then lived as a widow committed to worshiping the Lord in fasting and prayer night and day the rest of her life. Anna is an exemplary woman who loves the Lord and is devoted to the Lord. What a sweet gift Anna's example is in Scripture. We live in a time where value in the world is very much attached to what we can do for the world. But in the right-side-up kingdom, Anna's precious worship of God is priceless. Uh, all of us, if the Lord grants us long enough life, will get old, slow down, and maybe even need help doing basic things. This dependency may become, a, become earlier because of sickness or some kind of accident. Um, but all of us likely either will have a season or come to the end of our lives where maybe the only thing we have to offer God is our worship and our prayer. And that is treasure in the economy of God, of who we are rather than what we can do. In that same hour when Jesus was being presented at the temple and Simeon is praising God, Anna is blessed to be present, to be there with Jesus. And Anna then joyfully is giving thanks to God and speaking to him of all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And this section then closes with, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Uh, let's put a pin in verse 40 for a moment, and I think there are a few applications we can draw out from this section. We've been shown some outstanding examples of people who love the Lord. Being New Year's Day, I suspect that most of us have already thought of some goals or resolutions that we have for this new year. It is wise for us to think back uh, this past year and think how we can make better health choices, 
financial choices, career, education choices. Those are all good things. What about our, but I want us to also consider what about our choices and how we're choosing to love God. My love for my wife grows with the more time I spend with her. And likewise, my love for God grows uh, with the more time I'm reading his word and fellowshipping with his people. What are rhythms that you can build into this next year, or if next year seems too much, this next week, this next month, or sorry, next month, yes, <laughs> and we can draw, that will draw you into regular communion with God. Uh, let us help you. We would love to help you. We can hook you up with a Bible reading plan for 2023. We'd love to try to answer questions or finding a gospel community and maybe even becoming a member here at our church. Uh, and let's be aware of our motives in this planning. Uh, I can make a great plan and then never follow through on it because I realize that actually I, I don't want to do what I've planned. Uh, I want to be healthy, um, but it's a lot easier to eat ice cream and watch Netflix. Uh, but reminding myself of what I love, or better yet, who I love, will make a difference. We love our family, so we, that is why we pack up half of our house, seven kids, two dogs, and drive 30 hours round trip in a car to, to go to Texas. We go through extraordinary lengths for the people that we love. We see that with Joseph and Mary, that their love for God is the fuel that takes them to Jerusalem to worship we see that with righteous Simeon and devout Anna. Rejoice, uh, as they rejoice with thankfulness to be able to see and to be with Jesus in the temple. Our reward, what I need to remind myself, is more of God himself. To be in his presence and to know him more deeply. Lastly, you may be tempted to think uh, that Jesus is just for the super good people that we're seeing here. That he is not for someone like me. Uh, I am not good enough. Or maybe even worse, you may be tempted to think, uh, I'm good enough as is, thank you, and I don't need Jesus. But the truth is that Jesus has come for us all. Luke has introduced us to a wide variety of folks in these first two chapters, and we'll see even more folks as we go forward. We see the newly married couple of Joseph and Mary. We see the older married couple of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We see the single and much older Anna and Simeon. We even see the humble shepherds. Jesus has come for all generations, for all types of people. As Nathan said last week, Jesus is born into the midst of humanity. Emmanuel, God, is with us. And he is here for people from every tribe and every nation. And that brings us to the next passage. The boy Jesus is found in the temple. Now, before we dive in, uh, let me prime the pump maybe a bit on this section. In the previous section, we saw Jesus as a baby, small and tiny, probably adorable. And while Jesus is definitely the center of the story, he is quiet and non-imposing. That is probably why Ricky Bobby and Talladega Knights likes to pray to the baby Jesus and not the grown-up Jesus. Uh, now, I'm not recommending that you watch that movie, but I think that it illustrates the point that the baby Jesus does not make me feel uncomfortable. We now get to see the boy Jesus, and we are going to start to feel a bit of tension. And as we move through Luke, as we see Jesus as a man, this tension and this uncomfortableness is only going to grow for the people around Jesus, for the crowds, and probably even for us. So with that, let's get into it. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, 
And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now it's 12 years later since the baby Jesus was presented at the temple and is the feast of the Passover, and Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. In all of Scripture, we are only given one story of Jesus as a boy, and this is it. Uh, a quick aside, though, uh, if you were to Google about Jesus' childhood, likely you'd come across some different articles, possibly even something referencing the infancy gospel of Thomas. Uh, in these accounts, they describe a somewhat angry teenager Jesus who gets mad at a, at a man's son and withers him, or, uh, or his father Joseph cuts a piece of wood and somehow Jesus miraculously stretches it, makes it longer. Uh, these, these accounts were written hundreds of years after Jesus was uh, ascended into heaven, uh, with no way of having firsthand, secondhand, or uh, any type of eyewitness accounts. Whereas Luke was likely written about 30 years after Jesus' ascension, with plenty of possibility to get first-hand accounts of Jesus' life. The early church was aware of these accounts and had was always considered them to be heretical or false accounts. I think we would have all, myself included, would have liked to know more about Jesus as a child, but we, Luke has only provided us with one, so we'll get back to it. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. It was common people, for people back in this time to travel in groups, even large caravans, for, uh, for safety. One of the common practices in these larger caravans would have been to have the women with the little children walk up front, and the boys and the men to follow up behind. Um, if, if that's what they were doing, it would have been... It, the 12-year-old Jesus could have been up with Jesus in the front, or he could have been in the back with Joseph. It would have been really easy in all of the busyness of travel for Joseph and Mary to assume that Jesus was with one or the other. Uh, also, they had made this trip before. It was as it was their custom. So it was likely no reason to think that Jesus would not be with them. And then the moment came. Perhaps while they're setting up camp or stopping for the night, they cannot find Jesus. Uh, every parent has had experienced this moment where you cannot find your child. Your heart, your heart stops, the panic sets in, and usually that is just for a, a few moments or a few minutes. Uh, I can only imagine the state that I would be in if I had lost one of our kiddos for three days. Once Mary and Joseph are sure that Jesus is not with them, they begin to trek back towards Jerusalem, likely hoping to see Jesus along the way, uh, having been delayed for some, for some reason, but he's not there, and they make it back to Jerusalem. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand what he was saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. After three days of searching... Jesus is found in the temple. And, and not like he was lost, like wandering around in the temple. He's like sitting down participating uh, with a teaching that's going on. We can understand Mary's reaction with, why have you treated us this way? 
She and Joseph are likely exhausted from the travel and the anxious searching for Jesus. So, why would Jesus do this? Why would the only account of Jesus' childhood that Luke gives us be about Jesus almost giving his parents a heart attack? Well, let's remember what Simeon, Simeon said in the previous passage. That this child, Jesus, has been appointed for the fall and rising for many in Israel. Even at the age of 12, Jesus has an understanding of the purpose to which he was sent. In chapter 4 of Luke, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for, this is the, for, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus' future has a very large teaching ministry in it. No doubt there were some good teachers in Nazareth, but this was the temple. During the feast of the Passover, it was common for, for teachers of uh, the teachers of the people from, uh, to, uh, sorry, to teach the people from the temple steps. This was an opportunity for Jesus to listen, to ask questions, and learn from the best teachers in Israel. So, in Jesus' pursuit of knowledge, did he, did he sin against his parents by staying in the temple? No, Jesus does not sin. It is helpful for us to be reminded that Jesus has come to do the work of the Father. And part of that work is to preach the good news and to teach Israel. Jesus stays behind in the temple in unity with the Father to prepare for his earthly ministry. And this is not the only time we see Jesus preparing. In a few weeks, we'll also see Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, being prepared there as well. He's being prepared to do the, the work the Father has sent for him sent him to do. Another helpful reminder for us, is, and perhaps for Mary and Joseph as well, is that Jesus is no ordinary child. Jesus is the child conceived by the Holy Spirit, Emmanuel, God with us. He is coming, his coming has been prophesied throughout Scripture. An angel appeared to Mary for telling that Jesus is the Son of the Most High, and that of his kingdom there will be no end. Angels appeared to shepherds proclaiming Jesus' birth with glory to God in the highest. And then those shepherds went and found Jesus and told Mary and Joseph all that they had seen. With, with all of that in mind, Jesus' response sounds a lot more understandable, right? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. And that will be a common theme throughout Luke. Uh, people again and again will not understand what Jesus is saying and what he is doing. Again, he is bringing the right-side-up kingdom to the upside-down world. And now I'm not trying to come down really hard on Mary and Joseph. I get frustrated when the internet goes out at my house. So I can only imagine how upset I would be if I found my son after three days of searching not where he was supposed to be. Um, but my son is not Jesus. And Mary and, sons, uh, Mary and Joseph's Jesus is not an ordinary boy. He is fully man and fully God. Which brings us to verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And recall verse 40, which I asked you to put a pin in. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. If you didn't feel the tension yet, you certainly feel it now. How does Jesus, the second person and the tri of the triune and infinite God, grow in wisdom? 
Maybe you were asking that question as I read when Jesus was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Why does the all-knowing creator of the universe need to ask questions? Well, before attempting an answer, let me establish some helpful uh, guideposts as we explore through these texts. First, in preparing for this sermon, I have sat at the feet of wise men and women who have thought deeply about this tension between the divine nature of Christ and the human nature of Christ. As with all scripture, I am a student and just so happen to be at this moment a preacher. Second, this mystery is only partially knowable, we can only understood in part by God revealing it to us in his word. And third, we are in the deep and rich waters of theology, theology right now. We will not be able to dive as deep or to explore as far during this time, but we can send out some helpful links in the weekly email for folks who would like to go deeper. So, back to the question. Why does the all-knowing creator of the universe need to ask questions? Well, Jesus is truly God and truly man. His divine, divine nature and human nature are in unity, also known as the hypostatic union, in the person of Jesus. Each nature exists in union with each other, not adding to one another and not taking away from the other. They're not separate, and they're not blended together either. The divine nature and the human nature are still distinct. Uh, a helpful picture for me is if we could imagine like a, a Venn diagram. In one circle, you could imagine Jesus' divine nature of the Trinity, and then in the other circle, Jesus' human nature. You imagine those two circles overlapped, and right where they overlapped, that is where you would find the person of Jesus. Everything that is true about humanity is true about Jesus, with one exception, sin. Jesus was born, he grows, he gets hungry, he needs to sleep, he loses baby teeth and grows adult teeth, he needs to learn things, he is seeking after knowledge, as we just read, he grows in wisdom, and as we will see in a few weeks, he is tempted. Hebrews helps us out also in this, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, since Therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things. He really became fully man. He experienced life as we experience life. And then in verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus has walked in a human body to be with people here, to suffer with people. As we then see in verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's, let's marvel in this for just a moment. Jesus does not observe humanity in, some, in an ivory tower. He walks with us in sufferings, in our struggles, in our pain, in our frustrations. Jesus was even submissive to his parents. Kids and teenagers in the room... Even Jesus knows the struggle of having to submit to your parents. At the same time, everything that is true about the divine nature of God the Son is also true about Jesus here as a 12-year-old boy. He is all-powerful. He is all-present. He is all-knowing. As Colossians 1 says, He is before all things, and in him all things are hold together. And in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
So in here, we find the tension. This is something totally outside anything we've ever experienced. Two natures in co-unity and existing in the person of Jesus. But natures don't act. The person of Jesus is the one who acts. There are times in Scripture where we see the person of Jesus operating willingly within the limitations of human knowledge and a human body. Let me say that one more time. The person of Jesus operates willingly within the limitations of a human knowledge and human body, according to the will and the glory of the Father. We see this when Jesus is asking questions at the temple. And then there are times when the person of Jesus operates in his divine nature, knowing things and doing things that only God can do, like walking on water, calming the storm, healing the sick, and telling Peter to go pay the temple tax by catching a fish and pulling the fish out of the water, and then there'll be money inside that fish's mouth. Only God can know that that is there. The person of Jesus operates in the divine and human nature in unity with the will of God and for this purpose. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 tells us, For in him, Jesus, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So what do we do when we come upon, upon these rich and mysterious truths about God? Well, for one, it should make us want to know more. Right? This is a wonderful mystery. The church wrestled with these truths and the doctrine of the Trinity for hundreds of years, that work that spanned generations. So maybe when we come across a hard section of Scripture, like reading through Isaiah or Revelation, maybe we don't just immediately throw our hands up and say, I don't get it, I give up. It is worth it. Maybe we dig a bit deeper and struggle a bit harder to learn the riches of God. John Piper used to tell his kids that uh, raking leaves is easy, but in the end, all you get is leaves. Digging is much harder, but you can find diamonds. Twelve-year-olds and teenagers in this room, and maybe a few 10- and 11-year-olds as well, follow Jesus' example, ask questions, and really try to understand what the Bible says. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Some of the best questions that I've ever gotten have been from my kids. Uh, adults in the room, if the kids don't get a pass on this one, we certainly don't either. Let us be a church who's willing to dig out the rich truths of God's word. It is worth it. And if you're visiting with us today and are just maybe just wondering, like, what are you talking about? We would love to meet with you and talk with you more. Jesus is for everyone, and he is worth it. We'd love to walk and to dig through the riches of scripture with you. And then what do we do when we have searched and toiled but still can't fully grasp what God has revealed to us. Well, in that time, then we worship. We praise God for what we cannot understand what, with what God has revealed. God, great is your faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, we sing. And then we, ma we marvel and stand in awe of what not, has not yet been revealed and sing, this is my Father's world. His hands the wonders wrought. We are about to sing uh, the power of the cross, the Son of God slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. 
It has been said that the gospel narratives are essentially the passion narratives, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus with extended introductions, and Luke is definitely pointing us in that direction. It is the feast of the Passover, and Jesus is lost. His people are in anguish and confusion. But then three days later, Jesus is found, doing exactly what he was sent to do. Let us pray and worship our marvelous Savior. Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for, for how apart from your word, Lord, will we know you. We thank you for faithful examples of men and women who love you. We thank you most of all for Jesus, that you, God, became man. To know our weaknesses and struggles, to teach and to lead people. And then for our sake, uh, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Father. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.